Well, good morning. Let's pray as we get started. Lord, we thank you for uh, another day, and especially another Lord's Day uh, that you give to us to uh, fellowship together, to worship together, to uh, give us a break, uh, that we might rest from our, our labors, our studies, our activities, and that we might uh, just rest. And, uh, and so we pray as we do so here today, that you would help us to, to rest and, and to worship. We thank you again for your word that you have given to us, Lord, and we pray for your strength by your spirit to uh, be able to divide it well and understand it well and interpret it as you intended. And so we pray uh, that you would be honored in these things, then, in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, <clears throat> Dr. McIntyre got to uh, end of his latest study last time, and so uh, returning to what I've been doing since January, actually, um, but of course I've been interrupted a little bit along the way. And um, as you may recall, uh, we um, talked about uh, it was. A year and a half ago, roughly, we talked about the ideas of being a mouthpiece and what are some biblical principles for us to follow in order to fulfill this role of a mouthpiece that God has given, yes, especially to people like myself or missionaries, but really to all believers. Uh, we are called to share his word with others. So how can we do that in ways that don't call attention to ourselves, but actually call attention to God and his word. And so we talked about that for uh, a while, and then we um, I have returned to this topic, but now in a slightly different way. Uh, here, we're focusing on being students of the word. And there are two key aspects for the mouthpiece. One, the mouthpiece must accurately communicate the words of the king. And so we must then understand accurately the words of the king. And then the other part that we talked about before is the mouthpiece that doesn't call attention to himself or herself. Uh, the mouthpiece brings the word of the king and stands off to the side. Um, that's how it was done in, in ancient times and even today uh, with emissaries and so forth. And we're to do the same, but our focus here now is on accurately understanding the word so that we can be a faithful mouthpiece and not communicate things that are wrong in one way or another. So we started this section then in January by talking about some things that we call prolegomena. It's a big fancy word that simply means what do we believe about the Bible? Not just what do we believe the Bible says, but what do we believe about the Bible itself? Well, we started with the topic of inspiration. And the basic point is the Bible is not man's word about God. It doesn't contain God's word. It doesn't become God's word, views that people have had over the years. But it is God's word, 2 Timothy 3.16, for example. Then we talked about issues of transmission. And in particular, this has to do with the Old Testament. How and what did the scribes do to copy the manuscripts and to preserve them over the years. And um, why then do we have confidence in the Old Testament manuscripts that we have? And, and, and so we talked about some of those things, which then led into 
the New Testament manuscripts and transmission. And this is a bit different. In the Old Testament, we have very few copies. But we believe that the copies that we have are accurate. In the New Testament, depending on how you count it, we have well over 25,000 copies. If you count it differently, you might say somewhere between six and 8,000. But um, however you count it, it is far more than any other work of antiquity. Nothing compares to it. And so we talked about some of those things and... Uh, in particular, the families of manuscripts and, and the differences between those families are relatively minor. I'll make reference to one manuscript uh, here in the sermon today and uh, why we don't think Luke actually wrote it, but why it may actually be uh, accurate historically. So I'll make reference to that uh, here in a little bit, um, which then led to the discussion about the canon. And the canon here is not something that shoots balls. Uh, to kill people or destroy things, but we're talking about what is included in the New Testament and really all of the scriptures. For the Old Testament, it's pretty straightforward. What did Jesus and the apostles say? So they include what we know as the Old Testament. They did not include the apocryphal literature and so forth. But what about the New Testament? Well, we have certain criteria we look for. Was it authored by an apostle or someone related to it, like Luke, for example, wasn't an apostle, but was with Paul, um, or Mark was not an apostle, but was with Peter and Paul, and, and so forth. And so things like that. Uh, is it consistent with the rest of the scriptures? Did the church accept it? By the end of the second century, almost every book of the New Testament was uh, accepted by the whole church without question. There still were a few that they were debating, um, but uh, you don't have to wait till the Council of Nicaea or something in the 4th century that some people will talk about. So after going, covering some of those things, then we talked about some of the uh, key terms in this way about the scriptures. We talked about the um, authority of scripture, the inspiration of scripture, the necessity of scripture, some of those, those uh, things. All right, well then we, <clears throat> we moved away from some of these background kind of things and moved then to more um, conceptual and practical ways to interpret God's word. And the uh, first one we talked about was scripture interpreting scripture. Let's see what I still have. Okay. Um, scripture interprets scripture. This is um, maybe the most foundational principle that we should follow. There are two that are extremely important. And this probably is the most important of those two. And so the point is pretty straightforward. We can't go and talk to Moses and ask what he meant by the word day in Genesis 1. We can't go to Paul and say, what did you mean when you wrote 1 Corinthians? Were you actually quoting from the Corinthians and responding to it? Or were these your words? Things like that. We can't go and ask him. We don't have other books written by Matthew. We don't have other books written by, I don't know, Barnabas, if he wrote Hebrews. <laughs> okay, We can't compare them, right? We can't go talk to them. So what we do is we take the scripture and use it to interpret itself. And this is what you're going to do with any work of antiquity. Okay, how do you understand Plato? Well, look at all of his works. And look at all those who comment about the works. Obviously, we can't talk to them and so on. So we do the same thing here um, uh, with the scriptures. And and yes, even into the later first and second centuries, we look at some of the 
apostolic father said to help us to understand and so on. But ultimately, we look at what the scripture says about itself. Then, we talked about the issue of context. And uh, this is a, a, again, an, an issue that we use all the time. We hear someone speak to us and we only hear part of what they say and we don't hear the full context and we can misunderstand them and and uh, yet if we hear it in the whole context we're like oh yeah okay well that makes sense or you know whatever and it can be just something that's confusing to us maybe something that upsets us or excites us even until we uh, hear the whole thing well again the same is true for the scriptures we need to look at the context now this is Uh, You might remember there are circles of context, and we start with the word itself, and then we look at the phrase, and then we look at the whole verse, and then the section, and then the broader section, and then the whole book, and the whole testament, the whole Bible, and all these uh, layers of context that we look at, And, and sometimes it's pretty straightforward. Sometimes it takes a lot of work, and sometimes even after all those steps, we're we're still not quite sure what something may mean. Um, Now, when we looked at at this, we also uh, did some practical examples, and we looked at a few different passages to to trace through these different levels of context to try to help us to understand what that particular uh, verse meant. All right, then, right through all this time, the shutdown happened, And I just had begun the discussion of the second uh, key foundational principle, and that is the grammatical historical method of interpreting the scriptures. And um, this is uh, really just as significant as scripture interpreting scripture, but it, it looks at it differently, you might say. And the name tells everything. The historical grammatical method of interpreting the scriptures. In other words, what is the history that lies behind these words, and what is the grammar? What is the syntax of the words themselves? And so, therefore, we need to know the history of the scriptures. That's simple. Hey, God gave it to us. We need to know the story. We need to know the story of the Exodus. We need to know the story of the kings. We need to know the story of Paul's missionary journeys, and so on and so forth. Not just the stories we like, like David and Goliath, or certain stories in Jesus' life. We need to understand the whole of the story. Even the rest of Joshua, not just the first 10 or 12 chapters. Even the genealogies, not just the exciting battles or something like that. God gave it all to us, and we need to understand the history. So, Um, I started this, and some of you may recall, that I tried putting on an overhead some maps of different places, and that didn't work so well. So uh, I have hard copies on the back table still, if some of you didn't get any of these, especially the college students, because after the shutdown I came back and we did review it more thoroughly with the the handouts, and there are some back there, nice color uh, handouts, uh, of these different maps. And and it, it... Basically, this is what we're doing with the missionary journeys of Paul. Okay? I see Ben pulled out that particular map. And uh, it, it, it just, it, it's not that we're trying to be academic. We're just trying to understand the story. 
And the better we understand the story, the better we will understand who God is, the better we will understand what God has done, especially in redemption, and the better we will understand how to be as God's people. Um, But it's not just geography, it's not just places, it's not just these things, but also the time when things happen. Now, on some things it doesn't matter. When was Job written? Well, we don't know. Probably was the first book written in the Old Testament, but we don't know for sure. Um, But it does help us considerably when we know when Paul wrote some of his letters. It really helps us to fit in what he is trying to tell us if we if we see how it all fits together. Um, so the better we know these things, the better we will understand. Is that really that simple? God revealed himself in a story. He didn't just drop a bunch of propositions out of the heavens. And we need to know the story if we're going to understand those propositions that are found in the story itself. Um, then the other aspect of this is the grammatical aspect. Now, some people love the history, but the grammar gives them trouble. Hey, what part of speech is that? Hey, is it a noun? Is it a verb? Is it you know participle, preposition, you know whatever it is? And then how do they fit together? Um, we have, for the most part, transitioned into a visual society. We are not really so much a word-based culture anymore. In some ways, we are. But in many ways, uh, we're not. Uh, We have vastly uh, jettisoned a word-based culture and have become an image-based culture. And uh, that hinders our ability to interpret the scriptures and, frankly, interpret anything. You try to have a logical conversation with someone, and it's hard to do anymore. And it's in part because we're not a word-based culture uh, any longer, at least generally speaking. Um, so we then did some examples of this we looked at a few passages where we went through the verse we said okay well here's the subject and here's a definite article with it here's the verb and so on and so forth and we looked at how doing that one forces us to slow down and look at the text carefully and two it just helps us to understand it better Um, so you may remember for those of you who are here we did John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and so on and so forth. Every one of those words that I just said can be interpreted differently. So what's the right way of interpreting it? Well, knowing the grammar, the syntax is important. Knowing the history is important. Looking at the context is important. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. All those things go into it. Uh, You may remember that the word so is one that I emphasized. That is an adverb. But it is not modifying the word love. It's not talking about the um, the greatness or the 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 bigness, if you will, of God's love. We're not talking about God loves us so very, 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 very much. That's not the point of the word. The point of the adverb takes us back to the previous verses. God loves us in this way. Well, remember. Moses lived up, uh, lifted up the standard in the wilderness, and people were saved from the plague. So Jesus, in the same way, is lifted up on the standard on the cross. We look to him, and we are saved from the plague of our sin and the judgment we deserve. 
Now, God does love us very, 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 very much, but that's not the point of the word so. The better we understand these things, the better we'll understand the scriptures. We are to be students of the word. Some are going to be better students than others, but we all need to be students of the word. This is God's word. And so here is an extremely important aspect in this process. Simply, it's why I preach the way I do, because of this method right here. And the whole idea of what we're talking about with being a faithful mouthpiece. Unfortunately, fewer and fewer people are preaching this way anymore, to the detriment of the church. All right, then, <clears throat> we talked, lastly, about genre. And uh, I have them now uh, listed here for us uh, on, the, on the whiteboard. And there are these different genres that we see in the scriptures. And um, there aren't in any particular order here. Um, but a genre is something that uh, basically it's a kind of writing, a kind of way of communicating. And each genre is a little bit different. Uh, we can speak of it in English, of course, um, in the things that we, we read and, or write. You're not going to read the comics page the same way you read a letter from your friend. Uh, you're not going to read a text from your friend in the same way, um, I don't know, you read something in your textbook and in your classes. Uh, they're different genres. They're different ways of communicating things. And, and the better we understand the genre and what is being emphasized and what's unique about it, help us then to better understand the scriptures. They're not all the same, of course. You read the Psalms, it's very different from a genealogy. Hey, you read the epistles of Paul, it's very different from the book of the covenant in Exodus. So uh, the different genres are important for us to, to discern. Now the challenge with it is there's a lot of mixing of genres. And so uh, you read a particular book and you can have a variety of genres within it, though it may primarily be one. And where it's seen maybe most is an apocalyptic genre. And that's a combination of a variety of things. And it can make it extremely difficult. Um, but uh, as we analyze things and see what genre it is, it will help us to interpret things. So <clears throat> that brought us then to looking at the first one that we did, and that is the narrative genre. And in this uh, genre, we um, talked about certain things in regard to narrative, and uh, uh, primarily, it's history. So some of the things I've just said about history, say here again, uh, but in the scriptures, it's true history. We live in a day and age where people are trying to rewrite history. A revisionist history, the 1619 Project, we've heard about a whole bunch here recently. That's a revision of history. There's some truth to it. But there's a lot that isn't true. But since God has authored history, we need to understand what actually happened. Fake news actually is contrary to the truth, and thus God and his providence. Um, we can't revise history without in essence, revising God and what he has done. And so we need to understand true history. And 
In the scriptures, of course, we have the true interpretation of history. How do we interpret a particular event? Even if we have all the facts right, even if there is uh, no error in, in, in the factual recording of a particular event, you then have to interpret it. What's God teaching us there? And, of course, we don't have Paul or Moses or somebody run around to tell us what exactly it means, infallibly. And, um, uh, but in the scriptures, we do. And so let's understand the narrative. Let's understand the story that God has preserved for us and interpreted for us. And so those are some of the initial things. Now, as for um, particular things about narrative, one of the key uh, characteristics is repetition. And we see that repeatedly in narrative. A particular word is used a number of times, a particular phrase. Uh, A name of God is used over and over again in a particular section. Or, or something to that effect. And, and as you look at that repetition, it helps you to get to the main point of the passage and interpret it correctly. We also talked about, um, uh, well, let me say this, not, not only emphasis, but it also helps you with memory. And then the second aspect of it is the key verse. Um, most of the time in your narrative context, Uh, genres, the first verse, middle verse of the passage, or the last verse, or near to that, will will help you to understand what that section is all about. And so you can look for a key verse, and sometimes that's shown with the repetition of words. Sometimes it's shown with chiasm, especially if it's in the middle. Um, There are different ways it is done, Uh, but that helps you to interpret And so, therefore, every narrative lesson has a theological lesson. Every narrative section has a theological lesson. And so we need to understand what it is. And sometimes that can be challenging, especially because some narrative seems rather mundane. What does this mean? And because it seems rather common, we think, well, that's not spiritual enough. And so people then will spiritualize the text. They'll put some meaning in it that isn't necessarily there. They will um, allegorize the text and give four different meanings. You have the common natural meaning, but there are other ones, spiritual and and so forth. You have these different layers of meaning. Uh, In our circles, it is extremely common for people to take narrative things and make it gospel-centered. And what they mean by that is, how does it point to Jesus' death on the cross? Well, maybe the passage isn't directly speaking of Jesus' death on the cross, but speaking of something else that is also biblically true. Um, So when it comes to narrative, this uh, is one of the kinds of genres that can uh, lead people off in the wrong direction. So look for the repetition. Look for the key verse. And these things will help guide you in in the right direction for interpretation. Okay, so that's a brief summary of what we have covered to this point. And uh, kind of in the middle of everything, but I was going on vacation and made sense for Dale now to, to start his section, which he did. 
And uh, now I kind of pick up right in the middle of everything, uh, which is fine. Uh, I'm not complaining or anything, but just uh, um, explaining why now I'm going to do what I'm going to do. <laughs> Let's turn to Genesis and chapter 22 here a moment. One of the things that uh, I'm trying to do as we go through these things is not just speak conceptually, but to do some practical things. And of course, any one of these, we could do a whole lot more. Uh, But uh, doing some of these practical things uh, can not only help reinforce the conceptual, but uh, just give you some practice uh, on how to do this. So Genesis 22 is a very familiar passage for us, right? Especially verses 1 to 19. We see here about God uh, with Abraham and Isaac and and so forth. So what I would like for us to do is uh, read this section. And as we're reading it, I, I think I'll go ahead and read it for us. And as I'm doing this, I want you to break it down into its thoughts. In other words, it's paragraphs. Think about the different paragraphs that you see. And most of them are pretty straightforward. Some of them, yeah, we might decide, okay, maybe this should be two paragraphs, maybe this should be one paragraph. Now, as you're doing this, then I also want you to think, well, how can I summarize that paragraph in seven words or less? Any of you have done this kind of thing before, you know that can be really challenging. (laughs) And then when we're done, I want you to think, how can I summarize this in about 10 words? And this way it forces every word to mean something, doesn't it? So with that in mind, let me read. And I'm using the New King James here, of course, so you might want to use your pew Bibles if you don't have that. So verse 1 of Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. 
And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. All right. Now, notice any repeated words? I mean, not ands and thes, but, you know, the key words. Key words that jump out at you here. Here I am. Now, Michelle will understand this in the, the Hebrew class that I'm leading. <clears throat> we saw that. Hineni. Okay? Behold I. <laughs> and we translate that as here I am. And so we see that a few times here in the section, right? Behold I. Here I am. Any other ones? There. Okay. All right. There's one name. What other name do we see? Okay. Did you say God and Isaac? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. My son. Provide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you see right away our, our direction is being pointed in a certain direction just by doing what we did, right? This issue of obedience. Here I am. This issue of God and Abraham and Isaac and provision, right there. We're already seeing things that are going to direct us to the theological lesson. All right. Any other ones that are jumping out at you? Matthew. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see the noun and the verb, don't we? Uh, like, for example, in verse uh, 13, Abraham took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering. Okay, So, yeah, we, we see that language uh, quite a bit as well. <clears throat> All right. So you notice what we did. We just focused on words here for a moment. Now let's step back a little bit. So what's the first paragraph? Okay, the testing of Abram. All right, well, what, what verses are we looking at? How would you... Okay. Okay, are you putting those together? I would think that makes sense to view that together. Now, if you have a particular translation 
they may put those in paragraphs for you, and that's very helpful. Uh, but sometimes the paragraphs don't make sense, <laughs> and you're like, well, what about that verse, or, you know, whatever. Um, here with the New King James, um, it segregates the words according to conversation primarily here, which isn't always as helpful to know where things begin and end. Um, and if your translation is faithful, then sometimes particular conjunctions can help you, either then or so or therefore. Uh, not all translations follow the, the original language in that way, and they smooth it out to make it sound better or something. Um, all right, I would agree verses 1 and 2 go together. And so Michelle said the testing of Abraham. Um, anyone else have an idea of how to summarize those two verses? short sentence here. Matthew. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, Maybe we could say something about the test itself in that he is tested to sacrifice the chosen son or something to that effect all right what about the next paragraph which verses would you put here three and four okay all right um okay Okay, okay, all right, all right, Um, yeah. Um, Maybe we could include verse 5 with this, um, because verses 6 and following focus on Abraham and Isaac and not the the servants. But, you know, we can can have a little variety here, obviously. Um, But, yeah, okay. So um, how would we summarize verses 3 and 4 then? in about seven words, roughly. Allison. Okay. Okay. Now you're more than seven words. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that's good. That's good. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm being somewhat facetious here about the number of words, but when you limit yourself at forces you to think carefully about each word and and what might be the best way of, of doing it. Um, Heather, did I see your hand? Okay. That's good. Mm-hmm. Eric, did I see your hand? Okay. Have a similar to what Joe said there, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, the advantage of having uh, longer than two words is you get a little bit more information. The advantage of not having as many words is, again, it forces you to, to think a little more carefully about what's being said. All right, so what about the next part? Which verses would you put here? Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, or possibly five through eight, depending on where you put that one. Yeah, I think that makes sense. 
Okay, so how would we summarize that one then? Okay, okay, all right. Um, yeah, um, Abraham's faith that he believed he would return with, with them. He certainly says that in verse 5. Mm-hmm. Okay. Other thoughts? Um, yeah, um, what's your name? Emma. Okay. Okay. All right. Abraham's faith in God's provision. Okay. That's right. You get the word provide there in verse 8, which is certainly one of the very important words here in this chapter. Okay. Matthew, did I see your hand? Okay. All right. Yeah, you know, let me expand on that a moment. Matthew summarized, if you will, the facts of the story. And Emma's kind of got a little bit more into the point of the story. And it's not that one's right and one's wrong. It's just different ways of doing that. And really both are needed. You need the facts, what's it say. You also then need to see the point. And Emma's brought in that key word here for provide. Um, and um, Margaret's emphasized verse 5 and uh, you know, there are different ways you can do it and in the end obviously it needs to be rather comprehensive um, but there, there are different um, if you will steps along the way alright so what about the next section how would someone divide the next part ok 9 through 12 9 through 12. Yeah, maybe we could go through verse 14, but um, I think 9 through 12 probably is a little bit better. I'll explain here in a moment why. So how would someone summarize this? Okay. Sacrifice of Isaac. Okay. Um, And you had quotation marks, I think I saw. (laughs) Okay. All right. Any other thoughts here? Yeah, Bill. I'm sorry? Okay. All right. The test revealed. Now, Isaac's probably wondering, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, anyone else? Yeah, Ben. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Heather. Okay. All right. Now, you are getting a little bit ahead there, but yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Since we're running a little short on time. Yeah, Eric. Okay. All right. All right. Um, yeah. And, you know, all these are getting at the ideas here. Um, some of you may remember way back when, when I preached through this, that um, if my memory serves me correctly, I never checked this to be sure, but I think I preached this passage in two sermons. And the first one was... The sacrifice of Abraham taking us through verse 12. 1 to 12, the sacrifice of Abraham. Because he had to sacrifice his dreams and wishes for his son. He had to sacrifice all those hopes that God had given to him for, you know, what is it now? About 40 years when God first said that he would give him a son. Um, 
And, uh, and so, for sake of time here, if, if I were to ask the question in this section here, verses 1 to 19, what would the key verse be? What would you point to? Okay. 14. Yeah, the Lord will provide the naming of the place. 18, you said? Eight? Okay. Which was, okay, God will provide. And both of those go together, don't they? Mm hmm. I would argue it's, what's that? 12. Why? Okay. If I were to pick one, that would be the one I would pick. Verse 12 and how it fits with verse 1. Now, all these other things obviously are part of the story. The idea of God's provision is incredibly important here. But do you see what we, we need to keep in mind? We, we might be tempted to look at verses 8 and 14 because how that points us to Christ. Let's not go to Christ yet. Okay? What's the point here? The testing of Abraham is the point here. And because Abraham passed the test, it then, God says, okay, I'm not going to kill your son, I'm going to kill my son in the end, right? Do you see how it it kind of builds on that a little bit? Yes, No, I think that's getting to the main point. Yep. You know, I, I don't want to communicate and say that verse 12 is the right main theological lesson and verse 14 isn't. They go together. But verse 14 makes sense because of verse 12. And, um, and we then do see God's heart and his love, how he's, he's sacrificed his son uh, for our sake. And that we don't have to do that. And we don't have to um, make atonement for our sin. Yeah, he stopped him. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jesus, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Note that contrast with this passage in the cross. Yeah. So you see what I just did. Now we're, we're looking at a broader context. And what's maybe the obvious other broad context that we can use to help us understand what's going on here?
We don't have to think that Abraham was being deceptive or lying or just trying to keep Isaac at, at ease or whatever. Yeah, but Hebrews—that's the one I was thinking of—makes it clear that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Um, obviously, we only have so much time to do this, and we're out of time here this morning. But but are you getting the idea of, of what goes into this? And um, we didn't finish this section, but I encourage you to, maybe this afternoon or something, finish this section. Think about the paragraphs. Think about how to summarize it and how it all fits together. And I, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit here just because of time. But, um, you know, we, we do this with any genre. But narrative is, is a really good place to start with this because uh, it's pretty straightforward in terms of what it's, saying our interpretation may be uh, more challenging but uh, but anyway um, I'll have to stop here in the middle of things but uh, um, again our goal here is to be students of the word understanding what our God has given to us that we may be faithful mouthpieces as we teach others whether in a position like me right here right now or teaching our children or teaching at a school or uh, talking to our friend at work or whatever it is. Uh, there are all kinds of ways that this can be accomplished. All right, well, let's pray together then. <clears throat> our Father and God, we thank you for, for your word. And uh, we are thankful, Lord, that you have provided for us and that um, um, we don't have to make atonement for our own sins. For that is only accomplished forever in in hell Um, but you provided your son not just a ram uh, but your son to take the judgment that we deserve that we might uh, be restored to you and through the death and then resurrection of Christ uh, we uh, we are restored and you have provided and you have given us all the promises, the covenant, all the blessings that we see at the end of this section, um, temporally, yes, but eternally, especially. We thank you for this, Lord. <clears throat> Again, we ask that you would uh, help us now as we worship, and that you would uh, strengthen us by your spirit, help us to use the means of grace today, and that you would be honored in each of these things. We pray in Christ's name. <clears throat>